Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. you spooktacular people welcome to this 256 episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane on this episode we have another haunted cemeteries this is haunted cemeteries number nine a lot of you've been saying we need another haunted cemeteries so here you go we're going to be featuring three of them on this episode we're going to be in paris salem and missouri before we get into that what an amazing weekend i just got home from the first live show that History Goes Bump has been a part of was a huge success, and I had so much fun hanging out with members of the Spooktacular crew. We went on a Louisville ghost tour. There were 15 of us on that tour and had a great time walking around Louisville and finding about all the haunted stuff down there. On Saturday morning, I went down to the Haunted Sealbach Hotel and met up with Dina of the Twisted Philly podcast, and we walked around the hotel and did some exploring did a Facebook Live from down in the basement area that had a really cool room. And then we went up her room and recorded a show. And I will let you guys know when she releases that so you can have a listen to us talking about the history of the Sealbach and the hauntings that are going on there. And as we were discussing the hauntings and starting to reason out something that had happened to one of the people that's haunting this location, we started to realize that the story that my group had been told about on the Louisville Ghost Tour probably was not the truth about what actually happened to this woman. And the story that we think we may have uncovered about it is far more interesting. So I will let you guys know when she releases that episode so you can tune in for that. Saturday night, we had the live show at Roosters in Louisville. We had a packed room and did it with Jerry and Tracy of Hillbilly Horror Stories and Mike of the Pleasing Terrors podcast. And it was so nice to get to meet all of them in person. I'd already met Mike before, so it was really good to see him again. And getting to meet all of the listeners that had come out there, I really, really appreciate you guys who made the trip and you know paid for your tickets. We said it at the show, but it always blows our minds when we have listeners who come out just so that they can meet us. It just, uh, it, it's amazing to me. And so thank you to you guys for that. Looking forward to doing more live shows in the future and more meetups and lots of great stuff. Then after the live show, we went out to Waverly Hills Sanatorium. And I tell you, it is amazing to go to a haunted location like this that you've heard so much about. 
and that you've seen on all the TV shows and to actually be there, it's surreal. And we had experiences. I'm going to share those with you on the next episode. I usually don't let you guys know what's coming up, but I am on this episode. The next episode is going to feature Waverly Hills. I'm going to talk about the history and the hauntings that are going on there and then get into talking about the experiences that we had. That place definitely has something going on. And I would say some of it is good and some of it is not very good. So looking forward to bringing that to you. Sunday, we went down to Mammoth Cave and I had Heather with me and Rachel. Deanne was there, Tiffany, Maggie and her husband, Joe, Tammy and her husband, Brian. And we had a great time touring the caves down there and hanging out, had a little bit of dinner afterward. And then I headed on home. I had a lot of trouble getting home, lots and lots of delays, but my trouble getting home was nothing like Mike Brown's trouble getting home. Mike of Pleasing Terrors got in a head-on accident, totaled his car on his way home to Charleston. He's all right, but we were wondering if maybe we got a little touch of Waverly Hills on us or something. All right, let's welcome some people into the Spooktacular crew. We have Cheryl, Justin, Barbara, Darius, Cassie with just an I at the end, Emma, Becky, Kelly with an I, James, Sherry with an I, Susan, and Sarah without an H at the end. Welcome. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment Naughty was suggested by Cheryl Smelkell. The picture was titled by Time Magazine as the most beautiful suicide in the world. The picture featured the body of Evelyn McHale atop the mangled and crushed roof of a limousine parked next to the Empire State Building. No one is sure why Evelyn decided to end her life. The reason was a mystery to friends and family. She had left behind a note, but that almost made her decision that much more mysterious. The note read, I don't want anyone in or out of my family to see any part of me. Could you destroy my body by cremation? I beg of you and my family, don't have any service for me or remembrance for me. My fiancé asked me to marry him in June. I don't think I would make a good wife for anybody. He is much better off without me. Tell my father, I have too many of my mother's tendencies. As to what those tendencies might be is anyone's guess. Mental illness or some other affliction? And why would she so dramatically end her life if she didn't want anyone to see any part of her body? She had visited her fiancé the day before, and he said that everything was fine. The next morning, May 1st, 1947, she arrived at the observation deck of the Empire State Building, placed her coat over the railing, put her suicide note next to the coat, hoisted herself onto the rail, and jumped. After she hit the limousine, her picture was taken, and it shows Evelyn in a very peaceful state. She looks almost as though she's only sleeping. She's clutching her pearl necklace with her gloved left hand, and her feet are crossed at the ankles. So, while it is strange to refer to a suicide as beautiful, she does seem to have found peace. But as to why she would have made such a terrible final decision was left a mystery. And that certainly is odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In 
in the month of May, on the 1st, in 1915, African-American Olympic athlete Archie Williams was born in Oakland, California. Williams was a track star, but he had never broken 49 seconds for the 440-yard or 402 meters. During 1936, he got his times to get lower and lower, and he set a world record at the NCAA championships. He went on to the Olympic trials and placed first. This gave him a spot on the team to Berlin. Jesse Owens was one of his teammates. He won the Olympic gold medal in the 400 meter. Adolf Hitler refused to shake his hand or Jesse Owens' hand. Their defeats of the German athletes helped debunk Hitler's theory of Aryan racial superiority. After the Olympics, Williams went on to earn a mechanical engineering degree from the University of California, Berkeley, but faced discrimination and wound up digging ditches. He later became an airline pilot and trained Tuskegee Institute pilots, including the Black Air Corps of World War II. He died at the age of 78 in 1993. Most cemeteries in the world do not see many tourists or visitors. Usually there's only the occasional family visit to lay some flowers at a gravesite. Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris is different. Nearly 3.5 million people visit the graveyard every single year. And one year it's going to be me. Another cemetery that has a tendency to draw tourists is the Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, which has a connection to the Salem Witch Trials. And then there's the Lonesome Hill Cemetery in Missouri. It's your typical local cemetery with very few visitors and a place I would not know about had it not been suggested to me by one of our listeners. While these three cemeteries are all different in the numbers they draw to visit, they share one distinct similarity. They are all reputedly haunted. Join me for a stroll through the headstones as we search out the hauntings found at these three cemeteries. Lachaise Cemetery in Paris is the most popular cemetery in the world for tourists to visit, and it also is the largest cemetery in the city of Paris. It stretches to 110 acres and was the first garden cemetery in the city. The graveyard is full of famous burials and beautiful monuments and memorials, and is located on Boulevard de Menilmontant. Gravesites run the gamut from simple headstones to huge monuments to tombs big enough to kneel inside while saying a prayer to elaborate mini chapels. The city bought the property in 1804, and Napoleon commissioned the cemetery to be built. Père Lachaise was named for the confessor to Louis XIV, Père François de Lachaise, who lived from 1624 to 1709 and resided in the Jesuit house rebuilt during 1682 on the site of the current funerary chapel. That chapel was erected in 1823 by the neoclassical architect Etienne Hippolyte Godet. He also created the monumental entrance of the cemetery a few years later. The land had previously been used as a vantage point by the king to watch skirmishes between the armies of the Conde and Torini during the Fronde. The design of the cemetery was laid out by Alexandre Theodore Brongniart. 
Merlachet Cemetery was opened for burials on May 21, 1804. Initially, Roman Catholics would not allow any burials in the graveyard because the church had not consecrated the ground. So there were only 13 graves that first year. The first person buried at the cemetery was Adelaide Pollard de Villeneuve. She was the five-year-old daughter of a doorbell boy of the Faubourg St. Antoine. Don't bother looking for her plot, though, as it no longer is here. Napoleon had declared that every citizen has the right to be buried regardless of race or religion after he was declared emperor by the Senate. Her plot was a concession based on that declaration. In 1805, there were 44 burials, and they increased slowly over the following years. In 1817, the remains of Pierre Abelard and Heloise de Argentil, who were lovers, were transferred to the cemetery and their monument was created from fragments of the Abbey of Nogent-sur-Seine. For this reason, lovers or lovelorn singles leave letters of tribute at their crypt. Legend claims that if they do this, they will find true love. Burials grew by so much that the cemetery had to be expanded year after year, and by 1830, there were more than 33,000 graves. It is believed that there are around 1 million people buried at Père Lachaise in total. People are still buried here, but there's a waiting list, and one has to either be a Parisian or died in Paris to be buried there. One might wonder how new burials can be accommodated. Apparently, plots are leased, and if a family fails to pay or fails to renew the lease, the bones are dug up, boxed, tagged, and sent over to Amour Ossuri. Plots can be bought, too, either into perpetuity or for 50, 30, or 10 years. And then I imagine people are disinterred. And about that Amour Ossuary, it houses the remains of between 2 to 3 million people. Amor translates to, to the dead. There's a monument in the front of this modern-day catacomb that was sculpted by Paul Albert Bartholomew. And there's a lot of interesting monuments and memorials here. Obviously, I can't get into all of them, but I'm going to touch on some of the more well-known ones. Another interesting monument is the Communards Wall, or Mur de Federes. 147 communards were shot on May 28, 1871, during the last day of the Bloody Week. Communards were the last defenders of the workers' district of Belleville. The memorial has become a gathering place in modern times for the French political left. The president of France who carried out the Bloody Week was Adolphe Lecher, and he is buried in the cemetery, and occasionally there are issues with his grave being vandalized. Another poignant memorial is the Buchenwald-Dora Memorial. It was inaugurated in 1964 and honors the victims of World War II. The sculpture was designed in bronze by Louis Bunsell and was commissioned by the Association des Desportes de Buchenwald Dora. The Mauthausen Memorial honors French victims of the Austrian concentration labor camp. People here were worked to death, literally. The sculpture features one prisoner carrying a granite block up 186 steps known as the Stairs of Death. This was a horribly punishing task that was endured by more than 100,000 prisoners. Another fascinating and haunting funerary sculpture was by the French sculptor Charlotte Dubray, and it belongs to Jorge's Rodenbach, a 19th-century Belgian writer and poet most famous today for his novel entitled Bourget's Les Mortes. Obsessed with death, evident in much of his work, he is pictured rising from his earthly tomb with a rose in his hand. It's kind of a creepy-looking thing. And, of course, there are many famous people buried here. Edith Piaf is one of the most celebrated performers of the 20th century. She was a French singer and cabaret performer whose torch songs became her trademark. 
She knew much of loss, having lost her only child as a toddler, a lover in a plane crash, and being involved in multiple near-fatal crashes left her body irreparably broken. It was this latter loss that led her into morphine addiction and alcoholism. The abuse she put her body through shrunk her weight to 66 pounds, and eventually she died of liver cancer when she was only 47. She buried next to her daughter, Marcel, her father, Louis Alphonse Gassion, and her second husband, Theo Sarapo. The name inscribed at the foot of the tombstone is Famille Gassion Piaf. Her name is engraved on the side as Madame Lumbugi Didit Edith Piaf. Gertrude Stein is buried here. She was an American novelist, poet, and playwright. She was born in Allegheny West near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She moved to Paris in 1903, and she stayed there until she died. And while she was in Paris, she wrote a quasi-memoir of her years in Paris, which is entitled The Autobiography of Alice B. Toclas. And it was that piece of work that took her out of obscurity into the fame that she had. And two quotes from her works that have become widely known is, a rose is a rose is a rose, and there is no there there. Kind of cool, huh? Gertrude Stein was a lesbian and lived with her partner in Paris, and she wrote a lot of books about lesbian love and such. She wrote QED, Fernhurst, Three Lives, The Making of Americans, and Tender Buttons. The interesting thing is, Gertrude Stein lived in Paris during World War II, and she was a Jew. They believe she was able to keep herself out of concentration camps and other such things because she had the protection of the Vichy government. She ended up getting stomach cancer, and she went in to have surgery for that, and she died after the surgery on July 27, 1946. She was 72 years old. And her partner, Alice B. Toklas, was buried alongside her sometime later. Friedrich Franciszek Chopin was born in 1810 in Zelazawa, Wola, Poland, and grew up in Warsaw. He was a musical child prodigy, particularly with the piano, and all of his compositions incorporated the piano. He was called the Romantic Movement's Poet of the Piano. He left Poland at the age of 20 and went to Vienna, and shortly thereafter he went on to Paris, where he found his greatest success. He became a French citizen in 1835. He supported himself by giving lessons and selling compositions. He was a sickly man who was unlucky in love. He contracted tuberculosis and spent the latter part of his life being supported financially by his admirer, Jane Sterling. He eventually died from TB in 1849 when he was only 39 years old. He was buried minus his heart. That was interred at the Church of the Holy Cross in Warsaw. His monument features a seated statue of Euterpe, the muse of music. There's also a profile of his head in marble in a medallion on the base of the monument. Oscar Wilde is buried here. He was an Irish poet and playwright. He became one of London's most popular playwrights in the early 1890s. And of course, one of my favorite pieces of his work is The Picture of Dorian Gray. What a masterpiece. And The Picture of Dorian Gray was his only novel. He wrote the play The Importance of Being Earnest in 1895, and it was shortly after that that he was thrown into prison for gross indecency with men because he was gay. He was convicted and sentenced to two years hard labor, and he was in jail from 1895 to 1897 for that. When he got out of jail, he left for France, and he would never return to Ireland or Britain after that. 
And for all of his fame and success, especially nowadays, us knowing him, he died destitute in Paris when he was only 46 years of age. And he died from cerebral meningitis. His memorial is kind of creepy and weird looking. It features a sculpture of a half demon, half angel figure. And this was sculpted by Sir Jacob Epstein. This sculpture had a very unique and controversial part to it in that it had exposed genitalia. Now, obviously, we know there are lots of sculptures out there that have that kind of thing. So I'm not exactly sure why this one having exposed genitalia was such um, an issue. I mean, hello, we've got David by Michelangelo and things. We didn't have an issue with that. So I don't know if there was a certain way that the genitalia was that made it more controversial. I'm not really sure. For a long time, Parisian authorities concealed it, and then it was removed during World War II. So there is a space there where it should be, but it's not there anymore. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Jim Morrison is buried here. He was the lead singer of the rock band, The Doors. I'm sure all of the listeners are very familiar with him. He was uh, a wild guy, had a very distinctive voice, and wrote many of The Doors' songs that were quite poetic. Love, love The Doors. Great music. And he's definitely an icon in rock music for sure. He was born right here in Florida in 1943 as James Douglas Morrison. And he co-founded The Doors' in the summer of 1965 over in Venice, California. They played around different bars and things like most typical groups, and then they released their song, Light My Fire, which rocketed to number one and plucked them out of obscurity. The group managed to record six studio albums. And in 1993, the Doors were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, unfortunately, as happens with some rock stars, especially back in the 60s, he got into drugs, and became an alcoholic. And it really affected his performance on stage. There were times that he would practically be falling down on stage or couldn't even get on stage. He died in Paris, and nobody is sure exactly why, because for some reason, no autopsy was conducted. A lot of people believe that he overdosed or that the alcohol got him, but we just don't know. But because he did die in Paris, this is where they had him buried. There used to be a bust on his grave, but a fan stole it, so it's no longer there anymore. And his grave is regularly hit with graffiti, so his family has to pay to have that removed on a continuous basis. And unfortunately, that graffiti has crossed over to other graves, and fences have had to be installed to help protect some of the graves around his grave so that they don't get vandalized as well. I'm not sure why people think that spraying graffiti on somebody's headstone is a tribute to them, but it's not. Morrison's grave was almost the victim of the cemetery's lease policy. You know, that one that I mentioned before, if a family fails to continue to pay for a lease, then they disinter the bodies. He only had a 10-year lease on his burial, and I don't believe the family pays for the burial anymore. They just pay to clean up the graffiti. And people who own nearby plots tried to have him disinterred. They did not succeed because he is still there. Dominique Vivante, Baron Denon, 
was a French artist, writer, diplomat, author, and archaeologist. He was appointed as the first director of the Louvre Museum by Napoleon after the Egyptian campaign of 1798, which lasted from 1798 to 1801. And he wrote two volumes that translates into The Journey in Lower and Upper Egypt. He wrote that in 1802, and it basically became the foundation for modern Egyptology today. So we have him to thank for a lot of the stuff that we know. Marie Trottenal was a French actress who was born in 1962. She died in 2003 at the hands of her boyfriend, Bertrand Cantat, who was the lead singer of the French rock group Nord Desir. Cantat repeatedly punched Marie in the head, and this caused her to have a cerebral edema. She was 41 at the time of her death. The famous mime Marcel Marceau is buried here as well. Marcel Marceau was known as the master of silence. While he is known for being the most famous mime in the world, his charitable work was even more impressive. In 1939, the Jews of Strasbourg, France, where Marceau's family lived, were told to pack it up and move it out. Marcel fled with his brother and worked for the underground, where he changed the ages of young French kids so they would appear to be too young to send to labor camps. He relied on his acting skills to pretend to be a Boy Scout leader, and he used the ruse to smuggle Jewish children and the children of underground members across the border into Switzerland. After the war, he studied under the great master of mime, Etienne de Croix. In 1947, Marceau created his alter ego Bip, who was a clown in a striped jersey and battered opera hat. He performed for over 60 years and died in 2007. Other interesting burials here are for the painter Jean-Louis-André Gericault's grave, which was by 19th century painter, sculptor, and architect Antoine Etex. It is a statue replica of Jean-Louis, holding a paintbrush done in bronze and also features a relief of his highly controversial painting, of the Raft of Medusa. Etex also designed the tomb of the Raspoli family. Madame Rapali's grave is known as the farewell to the jailed revolutionary and is a ghost whose arm stretches upward from his shroud to the prison barred window. Père Lachaise is considered to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the world. People claim to see strange lights in the cemetery at night, and during the day there are cold spots in various areas. Translucent spirits are seen as well. One of the apparitions that has been seen on a consistent basis is Adolphe Thiers, who was prime minister under King Louis Philippe in the 19th century. His favorite way to get people's attention, other than actually showing up as a full-bodied spirit, is to tug on people's clothing. One story mentions Marcel Proust and Maurice Ravel. They were a loving couple in life, and it's said that they rise at night from their graves and go in search of each other. The other famous ghost here belongs to Jim Morrison. His specter is seen roaming among the headstones close to where his grave is located. Then I have a story that I found on a website. This person wrote, I was 14. It was 1978. We were on a student trip to Spain and France. My best friend, a Japanese girl named Chihiro, and I were no longer traveling together as it were. I believe she was chasing a boy, and since I had nothing in common with the other suburban American kids on the trip, I was pleased when yet another Japanese girl took a shine to me and invited me on an adventure. Her name was Miki Miyagi, and she was a Japanese resident of Canada. How she ended up on our student trip, I never knew, but she was about 17 and quite worldly. I suppose I appealed to her since I was comparably serious as an Asian student with more the appearance of a Canadian than an American. She told me her reason for coming on the trip. She was a great aficionado of Chopin and wished to visit his grave. 
She was in the process of reading a book of his love letters with some paramour or another. Mickey spoke fluent French and I was just starting out. I remember taking a metro, then a bus. How the chaperones of the trip ever allowed us to run about on our own in Paris at that age, I'll never know. I remember her asking for directions of the French people and being fully conversant with them, which was very impressive. We made our way into the cemetery. I remember walking past a sentimentally festooned bust of someone who was a rock musician from the doors, Mickey told me. I'm ashamed to say that I hardly knew who Jim Morrison was, but there he was. After some more searching, Mickey found Chopin's resting place. She had brought her camera and asked me to take her picture by the headstone. I was pleased to oblige. Just as I brought the camera up to sight with the lens, I saw a young man on the other side of the headstone with clothing of another age. Oh, I remember exclaiming, not sure what to say nor in what language. Were we in his way? But as I removed the camera from my eye, he was no longer there. I remember that he had a bit of a wry smile. I said nothing at the time and proceeded to continue with the picture for Mickey. Later that evening, I told Mickey about what I had seen. Immediately, she took the book she had been reading and turned to the picture section. Did he look like this? To my amazement, there was a painting of the young man I'd seen at the headstone in her book about Chopin. Now, to me, even to this day, and certainly at that time, if I'm to think of a picture with the word classical composer, I see a wild, white-haired old man. And while I've since realized that he was a pianist and not a conductor, I can assure you that my mental picture of him would have been no different. The image of the young man that I saw was not made up by me based upon any expectation I could have had about what Chopin looked like. So apparently, Chopin might be haunting the cemetery as well. I thought that was a great story. I tried to find some personal stories about people seeing Jim Morrison, but I couldn't find anything. But apparently people are seeing him. Now we're going to head over to Phillipsburg, Missouri, to the Lonesome Hills Cemetery. And this was suggested to us by our listener, Cheryl McReynolds, who just happens to have her birthday today as I'm recording. So happy birthday to you. And as we always say, we have a little bit of synchronicity that goes on here at History Goes Bump. Cheryl sent me this request to do Lonesome Hill Cemetery months and months and months ago. And I'm finally getting to it just so happens to be on her birthday. Coincidence? I don't know. Lonesome Hill Cemetery is located just southeast of Lebanon in Missouri, where I-44 meets SR-5, also called Jefferson Avenue. You take I-44 southwest for seven miles, take the exit just past Caffeyville, called Dove Road, and then you turn right on Dove Road. This dead ends onto State Highway West. You turn left onto State Highway West and drive down at two miles, take a right at Cattail Road, and go down about a fourth of a mile. The cemetery will be on your right just before you reach the railroad tracks. This was a charming little cemetery with several legends, but development has taken away some of that charm. There's all kinds of things that have been built up around it. There are around 800 burials here, many of them large family plots. Burials began in the late 1800s and continue today. The legends associated with the cemetery claim that witches were buried towards the back of the cemetery. The local hanging tree once stood here as well, making it convenient to bury the executed. The hanging tree no longer exists, but there does seem to be something haunting this place. Blue mists reputedly hover at the tree line and seem to emanate out into the cemetery, and a few people have claimed that the blue mists have followed them. One woman wrote, Also legend to this that something is supposed to come from the trees and chase you around. It's happened to me and my sister and son. She apparently took pictures, but when I went to go check them out on her website, the website was no longer active, so I didn't get a chance to see this blue mist. A person going by MS wrote of their experience at the cemetery, 
Dear Ghost Story people, I was looking around on the net and came upon your site. I used to live in Lebanon, Missouri, and me and my friends loved to go ghost hunting. We went to Lonesome Hill, Veteran Park, and many others. We went to this cemetery way out in the woods. It was a family cemetery. We had to go over some big hills and through a big field. When we made it to the field, a big cloud of fog came out of a big group of trees in the middle of the field where the graves were, and it never got in front of us or on the sides of us. It just stayed behind us. And when we got into the graveyard, it surrounded the trees and never came into it. We pulled out a Ouija board, bad idea, and played around with it. Nothing happened, but there were acorn-like things falling out of the trees at us, and it was a little windy in the graveyard, but not in the other woods that we had to go through to get here. So apparently it was just blowing right there. That's kind of weird. And supposedly that graveyard was a slave graveyard for a family that owned that farm out there. The graves were back in the 1800s. QK wrote, I went to this place when I was pregnant with my first son about two years ago. I'm naturally very aware of the supernatural, but the pregnancy had somehow added to the effect. My now husband and his nephew took me out there when my husband was on leave. We got there around 11 p.m. We parked the car right inside the entry. At first, something in my gut told me not to get out of the car. I didn't know the stories about this place at the time. My husband talked me into it, so I left the car and we started walking around. We took a lot of pictures, got some orbs, and what seems to be a lady sitting. We never reached the back. I saw something in the shadows and refused to keep going. It honestly looked like red eyes about the height of a large wolf. It was as I was walking at a very quick pace back to the car that I really felt something watching me. Near the back I saw, or at least I thought I saw, two females standing and looking at me. Near their feet was what looked like another female kneeling and the profile of a large dog. I ran the rest of the way back to the car. At first it wouldn't start. I myself am pagan and took sage everywhere with me. I lit the sage and soon after the car started. I'd never had issues with the car before. Believe me or not, it's up to you. And EJ wrote, when I was a senior in high school close to 20 years ago, my best friend at the time, myself and two girls went to check out this spooky sounding cemetery. Well, when we first pulled up to the cemetery, there was a sign that told us not responsible for accidents or deaths. We thought that was a little creepy, but continued in. We got to the top of the cemetery and noticed there was a heavy chain around three headstones. We exited the car and went to look. There were carvings on the headstones that looked witchy or satanic to us. Then we walked around some more looking at headstones, names, dates, etc. The night was a typical early fall night in this part of Missouri, a light gentle breeze from the southwest. When all of a sudden a leaf dust devil spins up in the middle of the cemetery, we all freak and run to my buddy's fairly new car. The car won't start. Hmm, just like that other person's. We have the girls get in to steer while we push. As soon as we clear the entrance, the girls beg us to get in the car, so we do, and my friend tries the car. It starts and we leave. And as we are getting back on the interstate, the car will not accelerate past 35. At another time, a few years after, myself, my fiancé, and three buddies from the service decide to go check out the cemetery again. Same entrance sign at the time as previously mentioned. We pull the car up to the top again, get out to walk around and check things out. I show my buddies the three chained off headstones and we're speculating what the signs carved into them could mean. When from a little ways off, I hear my fiance say, come this way, guys. So we all start to walk in the direction of the voice and we see her. We're catching up and I am beside her. When we then hear my fiance from the opposite direction, yelling for us to come over there. I look over in the direction of the voice confused. My fiance begins running toward us and I look back to where she quote unquote was and she was gone. We reach my fiancé and tell her what just happened. She said we should get out of there. We did. Looking back, we saw a mimic guiding us away from my fiancé, or what I would call a doppelganger. 
When I think back, I notice my memories of the mimic are dark, hollow eyes and a heebie-jeebie feeling not like the warm love I felt from the real woman. Hope you're able to check this place out sometime. So, pretty creepy. The Howard Street Cemetery in Salem. Now, this is a cemetery that I have been to. And the Howard Street Cemetery is located beside the old Salem jail. Like the cemeteries found in Boston, many of the headstones are very old here, but they're in fairly good condition for the age, and some of them are quite thin. This cemetery was founded in 1801 and is Salem's third oldest cemetery. Many East India merchants and sea captains have their final resting place here. Members of Nathaniel Hawthorne's family are here too, his grandfather, mother, and sisters. One of the well-known people found here is George Ropes Jr., who was best known as a marine and landscape painter. One of his paintings features George Washington's Mount Vernon. Many of his ship paintings are exhibited at the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. Some of his other works are on display at the National Gallery of Art and the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. The haunting connected to the Howard Street Cemetery dates back to the Salem Witch Trials. One of the people accused of being a witch was Giles Corey. Corey was born in England in 1611 and was a wealthy farmer. His three accusers were Abigail Williams, Ann Putnam, and Mercy Lewis. He was killed in one of the most horrendous ways used during the trials. He was crushed to death beneath rocks that were steadily added to a board that was laying across his body until he could no longer breathe. The authorities were trying to get a confession, and they did this to him over three days. This took place in the alley right next to the cemetery, which is why he's haunting the place. As Corey took his last breaths, he placed a curse on the town of Salem and the sheriff. Many people throughout the years have claimed to see Corey's spirit walking and floating in the cemetery and have felt the occasional cold touch of his hand on them. The curse seems to have worked as the sheriff, George Corwin, died of a heart attack. Other Essex County sheriffs suffered from heart conditions as well. Many of these men claimed to see Corey in their room before they died. Corey also makes appearances in much the same way as the Mothman. He seems to come as a harbinger of catastrophes or death. He appeared in the days leading up to the 1914 Great Fire, and some think that the fire may have been part of his curse. So here we have these three haunted cemeteries. Are there spirits here that are at unrest? Some of them famous, some of them not so famous. Is Père Lachaise haunted? Is Lonesome Hill Cemetery haunted? And is the Howard Street Cemetery haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, I am looking forward to checking out Père Lachaise when I make it over to Paris, France one of these days. Sounds like an absolutely phenomenal cemetery. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I want to thank Steve for your email. Appreciate that. And also James. And Kristen wrote to say, I did get a chance to go to the Menger Hotel and the Alamo in San Antonio. We had a drink at the bar where the Rough Riders were recruited by Teddy Roosevelt. One of my friends was able to capture what we think is an orb or a blast of light. She actually saw it live and asked us and the bartender if we saw it too. The bartender thought she was crazy, but sure enough, it showed up on her HDR picture moving out of the frame. She sent it to me and uh, I definitely saw something kind of weird and it moved in a way that orbs don't normally. It, it wasn't like just frozen there and it kind of, it, it had a weird way of moving. So I'm not completely convinced that it was just a bug and the lights were on fully. So it's kind of weird for a bug to appear as a bright light when you have 
lights already on. Now, maybe with a flash, that might be the case, but it, it was interesting. So thank you for sharing that with me, Kristen. And uh, isn't the Alamo amazing? And uh, the Menger Hotel is amazing as well. And we will be featuring that on one of our shows eventually. And we have an Apple podcast review to share from Mimi76. Love it. Five stars. I've been listening to all your old podcasts and have not yet caught up to the 2018 ones. I'm listening to Charles Dickens Christmas Carol right now. I had my own experience when I was a kid. I was best friends with my grandpa. And when I was 10, he passed away. I had a waterbed and I was supposed to be going to sleep. I'm not sure if I was thinking about him or not. But all of a sudden, I felt something tickle me like the way he used to. It was like I had fingers coming out of the waterbed to tickle me. It was a little scary, but it made me happy to think he might be there with me. When Ghost Hunters was on, I'd watch that a lot over and over again. They made me laugh, and it was nice to know that there were other people who had experiences and believed in it. I even saw a shadow man in my grandparents' house when I lived with my grandma, and even now in my house here in Megalia, California. I also watch Ghost Adventures and When Paranormal State was on, and even now I watch Paranormal Witness. I'm fascinated about ghosts and wish I could join you to do a ghost tour with you, but unfortunately I don't have the money to travel anywhere or even to do my own investigation around here. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to listen to you guys more. Well, I will eventually be over there to California and uh, you'll have to hang out with me and whoever when we get to doing some ghost tours over there. Love to get your reviews over in iTunes. If you tune in there, would absolutely appreciate that. and Love it. Want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the graveyard... Kim Butler DeRose, you will be getting a marble headstone, and Patricia Groach, you will be getting your place in the niche wall, and I hope I said your last name right, G-R-O-C-E. Thank you. Sweet dreams. credit card bill.